Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode number 50 of the Kennedy Mile Report. Brought to you by our great sponsors, Clio and LexisNexis. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In the last podcast, we discussed the social media tool LinkedIn. In this episode, we mark a bit of a milestone, our 50th episode, which gives us another chance to say thank you to the great Legal Talk Network team that that really makes this podcast happen. Absolutely. And we have a really timely topic for this episode. Tom, you want to tell them what we'll be talking about? In this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we're going to be talking about the idea of backup of your work files, your client files, your online presence, um, anything you want to talk about backup related. In our second segment, we uh, have another edition of things we've been talking about. This time, we're talking about Google. And as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can begin to use as soon as this podcast is over. But on to our first segment, which is about backup. Dennis, you and I have been thinking about this as a topic for, I think, a while now, but last week it became more immediate to me, which which meant that we're doing it this week. My blog's database crashed, and um, at first it appeared that I had lost, I think, all of my posts, which is coming close to 5,000 of them. Uh, now, fortunately, I had created a backup in the form of an Excel spreadsheet of most of those posts about a year ago, but that left almost a whole year's posts that I couldn't find and I couldn't locate. Uh, you know, I was I was actually doubly fortunate that my web host was able to repair the database and my blog is back up and running again. Uh, but you know, it demonstrates what I think is a valuable lesson. Um, I had thought all my critical data was backed up and I was wrong. I thought I was following a good backup strategy. Now I'm reevaluating that strategy and I want to make sure that I've got everything covered. But I suspect, Dennis, that I'm in the majority here and that most people aren't backing up their data the way they need to. Is that the sense that you get as well? Well, I, I think, Tom, that's always been the sense that, that you know, backup is one of those things that it seems like you have a good strategy. And when something really happens, uh, say you drop an external hard drive, your experience with a corrupted database, that the strategy seems to have a few flaws. And so so I think that people are doing a much better job these days about um, actually implementing a backup strategy. And I think it's gotten a lot easier and a lot more automated for a lot of people. But there, there are gaps in it. And it's just a, a difficult, time-consuming thing to do. And um, you're right. It's, it's sort of backup is one of those topics that we have in our list uh, of podcast topics that we say we'll work in sometime because it, it seems like the topic never really gets old. And uh, and so it's uh, it's just one that you always have on hand because it, it's, it's an important issue. I do want to say, Tom, I think that uh, let's just let the audience know that we're going to focus, I think, with, with one exception where you're going to go into some detail about more of, of the the enterprise records management uh, aspects of a backup. Really, the focus today will be on sort of personal uh, data backup. And I think the evolution of that, especially as we started to have more and more data out in the cloud, um, as you experienced. 
Right. You know, I think, yes, the question about why the topic of data backup never gets old. And I think it's because people um, are always being hurt by not having a backup. I I just saw this morning, uh, the day that we're recording this, that around 150,000 people have lost their Gmail accounts due to some sort of bug. Um, We're still waiting to see if they're going to get their email back. It may be that they get all their email back, everything uh, and everything, but they've actually, uh, a lot of those people have actually signed on to their Gmail to to get their email and it, it presents them with a little welcome screen saying, welcome to Gmail with a completely empty inbox. And I bet a lot of those people are wishing that they had backed up their email. Um, but I guess I guess what to me makes backup different and, and, and why it's it's so important to talk about it, I think that the, the importance of it has not changed. But there have been a number of things that have changed about it. And I think one is the number of things to back up. You know, especially people who have an online presence um, have to think about what do I really need to have a backup of? Uh, And I think that that's why having that strategy is so important that you talk about what is my backup strategy? What is the information that is most important to me? Uh, A lot of people don't think that backing up their Twitter feed is important. So you leave that out. But some people do. They want to keep a record of every tweet that they've ever done or every post that they've ever put up on their Facebook page. Um, And so, believe it or not, there are a lot of tools that are available to help do that. And I think that's the second thing that's changed is uh, it used to be that – that for people, you know, in your personal backup or if you're in a small firm, there weren't a lot of options available. But now cloud computing has really made it very simple to uh, to, 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 to back up your information on the Internet and, and, and not just the data that's on your computer, but the data that happens to be on your blog, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Uh, you can block up, back up any number of different sites uh, with services that range from free to, to pay services. Uh, what do you find, Dennis, is some of the are some of the must-have features in some of these backup tools that, uh, and I'm going to talk about specifically about some tools, but to you, what's a must-have feature in some of the backup tools that you might recommend to our listeners? Well, it's actually this this Gmail outage that really makes this topic timely as well. And, and I have to admit, it's sort of the idea of opening up my Gmail account and finding there's no email in there is, is actually kind of a, kind of attractive to me. But but I, I think that that what when you describe what's out there, when we think about tools, I think that's one of the things that's made it, it is sort of explains why people don't really address backup. It, there are a lot of choices. Um, it used to be pretty expensive to do to do backup. Um, you would need like a you know backup tapes, and you'd have this whole elaborate procedure for recycling those tapes and doing backups. And there's this whole debate about incremental versus full backups, and, and it just made your head spin. Um, now I think I, I look for a couple things like how can I make it easy? How uh, and I think that the external USB hard drives have really gone a long way toward making making that easy. Uh, I think you want to make it uh, more or less automated. So if you're in the Mac world, the the time machine concept is a good one. It has you know some 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 drawbacks that I think probably uh, you know it backs up a lot on a regular basis, almost hourly. So that that can be a problem for people. It kind of gets in your way. And so I want to I want to look for things that you know 
don't take a lot of work, are somewhat automated, are inexpensive, and make the backup just happen. At the same time, I want that kind of redundancy. So if something goes wrong, I know that my data is in a number of places in a number of locations. And those are sort of the basic principles of backup that have always been the basic principles. It's just sort of the the as our data gets scattered across the web and different machines and different drives and all those sorts of things on a personal level, it's just become more complex as well. So I think that something that will help me, like I say, automate, synchronize, and pull everything together in, if not one place, maybe just one or two or three places. Those are the, the main features I'm looking for. You know, I think I think that's really my best tip is to have those particular features. I think um, having redundant backups, so more than one, um, having uh, backups that can be automated. I've always thought that automation is best for for tasks that we either are less likely to perform um, or tasks that we'll just forget about. I'll forget to back up my computer, uh, and and so having something that runs automatically is, I think, just a tremendous feature that a backup tool needs to have. I think that that if you're thinking about redundancy, you need to think both of um, a, a hard drive. Many people back up to a hard drive that's attached to their computers, uh, but if the house uh, has a flood or a fire or it's robbed, uh, that that standalone hard drive is probably going to be the same victim that your computer uh, is going to be. And that's why uh, these online tools are so helpful. I think that the, my three favorite tools for me to recommend, I use Mosey um, for my home uh, personal backup, and I think it's just tremendous. It, uh, they, Despite the fact that they raised their price recently, their prices are going up, but I think that's a recognition that um, it's not cheap to store data online, although Though, frankly, I'm paying, I'll be paying about a hundred bucks a year to store what is about 70 gigs of data. And that's not bad. That's a good price for, I think it's not as cheap as it used to be, but I, I think that's a reasonable amount to pay for online backup. Even better, Mosey will not only back up to the cloud, but also will automatically back up your data to a standalone attached hard drive at the same exact time. So I think that's a nice feature. You don't have to go and buy backup software that backs up to your hard drive and then use Mosey to back up online. This can actually do both of them. And for those of you who might be in, in enterprise situations, uh, uh, Mosey has Mosey Work and Mosey Pro uh, uh, features that will work with multiple computers uh, on network drives and, and shared drives and things like that. Uh, in addition to the Mosey Home, which is more of the personally based backup. Carbonite is one that gets mentioned a lot. Carbonite, I think, is based is more of a personal backup solution. Uh, what I love about Carbonite is that uh, it really is automated. It, uh, it it will actually go and select the files that it thinks need to be backed up. And you can, of course, go in and change that. But for those of you who don't want to even think about it, you can go and do that on your own. And, and Carbonite uh, is free for a certain amount, but but a, a much cheaper price. And I'll be interested to see if they raise their price in, re in response to what Mosey has been doing. The other service that I want to mention, and, and, and I've, I kind of have mixed feelings about this, it's a service called Backupify. 
B-A-C-K-U-P-I-F-Y, backuppapai.com. And it's designed to back up all of your social networks. It'll back up Twitter. It'll back up your Gmail. It'll back up your Facebook, uh, your Google Docs, if you want those backed up as well. And I'm using it just to see how it works. And I get a message once a week. It backs them up once a week uh, that tells me that I've got all of those services backed up. Now, when I talk to a lot of people about it, they um, they don't like the idea of, of having an extra copy of their data in some other place. Uh, and as, as a person who works in the e-discovery field, I completely understand that. It's a, it's a decision you have to make. Uh, part of your strategy, do you want to have uh, uh, copies of your Google Docs or your Gmail in another location? Uh, and, and you're going to need to go through those questions, the basic cloud computing questions of, you, imp- uh, you know, how do you feel about their security? How do you feel about getting the data out if you need to? Are you able to restore the data if you happen to lose it? Uh, what happens if you don't pay them? Uh, Backupify is free, so there's no issue with that. But what if Backupify goes out of business? Are you satisfied that uh, you can get to your data if that happens? You've got to satisfy yourself uh, before you use these types of tools. Dennis, are you using any of these tools or have you had the same issues that I've heard many people have with them? Well, I, I am looking at Backupify. Um, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I do have some concern. Uh, a lot of these things, obviously, to, to back up these services for you, they need your username and password on all of these accounts. That, that makes right. me a little bit nervous, frankly. Yep. Um, but I, I also see that all of social media as being a place that I don't really have anything anything backed up in a meaningful way. So it's tempting. Backup of five is like $5 a month. So it sort of seems like a reasonable approach to take. Um, there is concern about things going out of business. Um, but I I think, and, and the other thing about internet backups, I, people have complained about over the years, um, is that it takes a long time to back up an entire hard drive or to restore it um, if you're doing a complete restore. So I really like the internet backup services for actual data that I want to restore. So I'm not looking to restore like an entire computer and all the programs and stuff. I'm really saying, what is what? What data do I really want to bring back? Um, you know, documents, those sorts of things that can become a more complicated issue if you have uh, picture, you know, photos or music or that sort of thing. But I, but I, I think with the internet, I really look at a, a combined, you know, as as I often say, a portfolio approach. So if I if I have photos and some of them are on Flickr or some other service and some are another place and some are backed up on, on another internet backup and I have them on a couple drives and you know and a thumb drive, then I'd say, you know, in most cases, um, if there's something catastrophic it, you know, it'll be cumbersome, but I can, I basically can have everything. So, so that would be the concern. I also wanted to uh, say, t- Tom, before we, we ran our time on this segment, that on that Gmail thing, I, my, my approach to that is that backup, Backupify will back up your Gmail, but the approach right. I've taken on, on backing up Gmail is, uh, historically has been to pull the Gmail down into Outlook. Um, on a regular right. basis, and then that gives me a local copy of that that Gmail. So that would be a, a tip to people as one way to say, hey, if you got a bunch of stuff in Gmail and you're worried about it, um, you can you can always make that an email account in Outlook and pull that down. 
And I think that's right. And I think, I think frankly, you can pull it down into any email client uh, that will support it. Uh, I think you can probably bring it down into Thunderbird or into the Mac client mm-hmm. um, for email. I don't think it's, you're just limited to, to Outlook. I guess the only thing that I'd like to say before closing out is to kind of go away from, we've been talking primarily to people about their personal backup and maybe a small firm, but um, I deal day in and day out with companies and with firms um, who are using backup tape uh, to backup. And um, I, I guess f- for those folks, I would only have a, a, a caution. I, I think that using backup tape for disaster re- recovery purposes is a good thing. That's the perp- should be the purpose of backup tape, which is to be able to recover your business operations after a disaster or some sort of business continuity interruption. Um, as long as they're being used for that purpose, I think that that's great. And the tapes are regularly rotated. You're not keeping them in circulation for too long. However, a lot of companies that I know, and I think that firms are the same, are still using backup as a source of discovery in lawsuits. You know, instead of ro- rotating or recycling those tapes every month or three months, they're storing old backup tapes in offsite storage on the off chance that that data may become relevant in some future legal matter, some lawsuit, investigation, regulatory matter, something like that. And, you know, in the past, restoring backup tapes uh, has been a very expensive proposition. There are a lot of technologies now that make it easy to index and search what's on a backup tape. But then you still have to restore the backup tapes uh, if you need to pull data off of them. And that's why I think that backup tapes are a very poor way to keep data for discovery from a from a records management standpoint. What I like to recommend to the folks that I work with, the companies, law firms, is Look at archiving tools for your email, for your files. They're a great way to manage your your data without backup. Archives are just going to hold one copy of an email or file. So if you send an email out to 10 people, all uh, you know the archive is only going to hold one copy of that email, but still show the 10 people who received it. It's a lot easier to search archives for relevant files. It's, it's, a, it's a better way to back up if you're going to use it for discovery. You can search it better. You can pull information down better. It's just a better strategy. So I guess my one, my one tip for the larger firms are if you're going to use backup, Tapes to backup, that's great. Use them primarily, I think, for disaster recovery purposes. Don't use them for discovery. There are better ways to discover that information, such as archiving. Um, you know, Dennis, as we as you take us out of this next uh, segment, uh, what are what are some tips you'd like to leave our our audience with? Well, I, to me, it still seems like that backup. Um, it really takes two huge data losses for people to get religion about backups. It seems like the first one we go, oh, I should have done better. It's the second one where you really start to implement things. I think it's, you just think of it as an evolving process. So I don't know, I don't use myself as a model on backup, although I think I do a pretty good job these days, but I see it as an evolution. Um, and the evolution is happening both in terms of the equipment that you can use, um, the software you can use, and all the p- different places uh, your data is. I think if you focus on the data that you really uh, are concerned about that you need to have back quickly, that's going to help you kind of uh, develop a good process. And then I think that really finding some kind of solid automated approach is is probably the best thing that you can do um, these days. I think I think you're right, Tom. As as, as you mentioned before, that um, if something happens at your location, having that internet backup um, is 
it's just going to be a lifesaver for most people. Yep. And on that, we are agreed. So before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsors, Clio and LexisNexis. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, I, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a, pr- a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O dot com. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, And they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge or to learn more, Visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. It's time for another Stuff Tom and Dennis Have Been Talking About segment. I was complaining to Tom last week about how I thought that Google as a search engine was in decline because I couldn't find anything I wanted to find, even though I knew it was out there. And Tom wanted me to give an example because Tom hates for me to criticize Google. And I, I mentioned reverse phone number lookup, uh, which even Tom had to to agree was was really problematic in, in Google these days. And then just a few days later, Google killed the reverse phone lookup and, and also made a major change to its search algorithm. Is this an example of Tom's clout with Google or just more incentive for me to complain about Google things to, to Tom? Tom, how big are the changes at Google in the last week? Well, I'll say first that this is not an example of my clout because I happen to really like the reverse phone search. I know that people didn't like having their numbers listed in Google somewhere, but I like being able to look at a phone number as it came up on my caller ID and plug it into Google to see if I was going to answer that. And so I'm, I'm disappointed that it's gone. It was, it was a very helpful tool. But, you know, I think the algorithm changes I, are, are very big. Um, to give a little bit of background, the reason that Google did this is to combat something that 
that's called a content farm. A content farm is a company that sends a lot of content out in the web in order to generate ad revenue. And the, and the, the pages that they generate have to have just enough content on them to satisfy search engines like Google, which is designed to analyze web pages and then send only those high quality content pages to the top. So if you do a search on Google and ask a question, you know, for example, if I plugged into Google, what is a content farm? Um, uh, in, in the past, you may have seen a lot of links um, that are from sites that are designed to answer that question. And the answer is, you know, uh, one of the ones that I got typically was from a, a site called eHow. You may be familiar with eHow. You may see that in your Google results. Um, that's generally considered to be a content farm. Um, the answer that you get will be generally very brief and probably not very satisfying. It probably won't be completely wrong, but it's not complete either. And, and I think that what, what Google wants to do is, is to get rid of these low quality content sites. Um, but, the, but these sites have really learned sort of how to game Google's search algorithm and do that. I, I, just last month, I think I read a story about how JCPenney is showing up in many searches, even searches where it's not relevant, up near the top. And I think that Google was definitely due for change. So this past week, what they did was they modified the algorithm to try to push those links further down in your search results or, or I guess, eliminate them entirely. And from what I've read so far, the results have been sort of mixed. I mean, I, I some have seen much higher quality search results, but I saw at least one report that said that eHow has actually been benefited by this update, which is, to me, a little bit disturbing. I, I think, in general, the, the changes are good. Dennis, what do you think about the new changes at Google? Well, I, I don't know. It's, it's still – I'm still – it's a good step, probably. It sort of remains to be seen what what impact it will have. I mean, too often, in, in if you search Google for uh, like a common term, you just feel that you see a bunch of results that have been, uh, you know, search engine optimized. Uh, you know, the SEO people have really honed what they're doing and that you get results that don't really give you the answer that you want, but you can tell that people have done a great job of, of SEO. With the reverse phone lookup, my issue was that almost never would you actually find, you know, somebody's number if you just, if you just typed in the, the, uh, you know, the phone number into, into Google search, you would find tons of commercial uh, places that would sell you, uh, you know, the, the reverse phone lookup uh, service. So it just seemed that that Google had become sort of overly commercialized and we were getting away from just using Google to find things. And so I was already starting to look at, you know, look into Bing and and more specialty tools, uh, especially search tools. So I, it just seems like that in in some ways is, is, you know, somebody once told me it's going to be a matter of mathematics that, you know, once we're looking at trillions of pages, there's only, and you're, a general search tool can only do so much. And Google has done a great job, but it sort of seems like, I don't know, maybe we're at the, approaching the end of an era or the end of innocence or something with Google. Um, so I'm curious to see what would happen. I'm also, you worry a bit about this notion of content farms and whether, you know, what you're doing yourself will get, you know, categorized as a, as a content farm, you know, accidentally or because, you know, the SEO people had figured something out that made what you're doing looks like a, you know, content farm. I mean, time you do that blog of the day thing. So, you know, does over time, does that start to look like a content farm? And then all of a sudden, you you know, your your blog or your website gets shut out of Google mm -hmm. results for nothing that you've done. So 
any change to that Google search algorithm is always a, a little concerning. And it's always worthwhile, I think, after Google makes a change to do some of the searches you do often, to search on yourself, uh, search on your firm, you know, that sort of thing, and, and see if you can, you can notice any, any changes in that. Um, Tom, some final thoughts? Sure. For, you know, for years, in, in my opinion, I, I think Google has been the best search engine because it just works. You, you type in a query and the, and you get the exact results you want nine times out of 10, at least for me, are right there at the top. And I think that the content farms have changed that. Uh, when I search, my search results are not very satisfying. I, I get answers that are helpful, but not very helpful. I'm hesitant to go to Bing because I hear now that Bing <laughs> may be copying Google's search results. So I don't know that that Bing's results tend to be any better than Google. Um, you know, But the result is that I now have to dig down farther into the results for meaningful information, which, which is frustrating and not very helpful. I think that like spam, spam is a constant battle. Viruses are a constant battle. I think that that SEO to a certain extent and 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 battling that will also be constant. But I think Google has to fight it. I, I think they have to do it to keep the search results fresh, accurate, and worthwhile. Thanks, Tom. Now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Uh, my parting shot this week is a new meeting tool from the folks at Log Me In. Log Me In is usually known for its uh, remote access tool, and they're taking that technology and turning it into a screen sharing or meeting tool. The thing that I like the most about it is the number of people that you can host. You can actually have up to 250 people attend your online meeting. Uh, it has very basic features other than screen sharing. You can uh, share files to certain people. You can chat. At. You can do other certain things. There are uh, uh, additional features, uh, meeting schedulers, and other features available. If you want to pay about, I think, $30 a month is, is how much the pro version is. But for a simple screen sharing tool, if you want to, to, to give a presentation or show information to a client or to other people in large groups uh, where they join on a phone call and just look at the screen. Uh, I think that it's, it's log me in's new join me. Just go to join.me and you can start hosting a meeting immediately. Dennis. Cool. Well, I want to sort of touch on today's topic a, a, a bit and then also go back to something we were talking about uh, bookmarks. And I've been experimenting lately with Google bookmarks. And this is one place where Google does work well. So all you really need to do is type in Google bookmarks into Google and you'll, you'll, you'll find the, uh, this tool. And then if, assuming you have a Google account, you can, you can start it up. And, uh, what you do is, is, uh, is you can start to, instead of using your browser for bookmarks, uh, you can start saving the things you bookmark into Google Bookmarks. And uh, it allows you to do a small uh, little thing called a bookmarklet, which we don't have the time to go into, although it might be a topic for another day, that I can put into my browser toolbar. I click on that, and it pops up something, and it sort of pre-populates with the title of the web page, a little bit of other information. I can tag, I can give it a tag, I can put a little summary 
memory there, and then it's stored in in Google Bookmarks for me. Then later, from anywhere I'm at, another computer, whatever, I can go into Google Bookmarks and see all my bookmarks in one place. I can search them. I can look at things by by tags. I think I can do some sharing of of those as well. So um, it becomes real useful. So when I prepare for this podcast, I can I can go back and and just look at the either the label or do a search on things I've collected for the last week or two, and and I'll have them right there. So it's it's actually a, a great way to back up your book bookmarks to the cloud, and then also to make those bookmarks m- more more useful. I am. Um, that's a good tip because now that Delicious may be going away uh, or being sold to someone else, um, we're all looking for potential replacements for those of who might be using Delicious. Well, that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed, is typically available at our show notes wiki at tkmreport.com. We, as I said in the past episode, need to get that repaired. So if you have any questions or have anything to tell us, please contact us at tkmreport at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. Uh, So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. You can back up this podcast by subscribing to it in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.